And here's what I want to ask you. What is holding you back? What is the thing that's holding you back from going after your dreams and from finding meaningful work you love? Aren't you ready to wake up to the possibilities that are in your life and go after the things you've dreamt of? It's time for you to feel alive again, lit up, and for you to know that you're deserving and you are worthy for the future that's waiting for you. I want you to feel fulfilled and find abundance in your life. I think it's time and I'm ready to help you get started. Now I'm your host, Kristen, of Building a Life You Love. And each week on the show, we're going to help you figure out how you do go after your dreams and find work you love. Here we go. Let's get started. On today's episode, I'm going to talk to a writer who's written and published over 10 books. We're going to talk about how you pursue your dream career, even in the busy seasons of your life, how we fit in small increments of work to keep that progress going, and the many things we can do to continue to move forward, even when we have rejections and it takes us time to hone our craft and finally get the achievement we want, whether it's writing a book or getting a contract. So I think you're going to love today's conversation. Let's get started. Hi, today on the show, I would like to welcome Dina Dyer, who is a author, speaker, and writing coach. She has published more than 10 books, and I would love to welcome her to the show today. Welcome, Dina. Thanks, Kristen. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I think everyone's just going to love this conversation when we talk about, you know, what it takes to be a writer and all the lessons you've learned and the strategies you've put in place to be able to do this while you're a mother and pursuing other things and just the different seasons of life you've been walking through. Can you share with us a little bit about your journey to this point and your backstory with us? Sure. I am probably unique in that I knew what I wanted to do when I was about eight years old <laughs> because we had a Friday in second grade. And I remember the teacher was letting us write stories and I just fell in love with stories and I knew from that point on, I wanted that I wanted writing to be part of my life. And then as I got to be in my, like when I was about 11 or 12, I thought I want to write a book because I loved Emily of New Moon by Lucy Montgomery and loved reading. And so I had an uncle that was a newspaper editor in Eastland, Texas, a little town. And he was trying to publish a book and he showed me how to use this thing called a writer's market. And back then it was huge book, wasn't online. And so I started submitting things to publications, teen magazines, and I would do devotionals and poems and stories and started getting rejections. And then I remember I got my first check, it was $8 and I kept it it. and I started getting um, published some. That was really fun. And then in college, I went to Baylor and I studied music and professional writing and After college, I met my husband and we went to seminary. And then that dream just wouldn't leave me alone to write a book. And so I began to try to get a book published and went through 50 something rejections on book proposals over five years. And then I got my first book contract, even though I had a lot of published articles, it's a whole different ball game. And I kept writing as my kids got older. I have two boys. And I'm so glad I did because they're almost now out of the nest. One of them is, and one of them's perched on the edge of the nest. So yeah, I'm an author and speaker. And then my husband's a worship pastor. So I help him with the worship ministry at church. And um, I just love writing and getting to, I feel like that's a ministry and it's also therapy for me. 
Yeah, I think that's that is great. First of all, I love that you shared that it did take a few years, like you said, not from being published, but from actually, I mean, not from publishing writing, right? But from to publishing a book, it took you several years and it took you 50 rejections. And I think that's such an important point to make, which is all of us have to step through these things. And rejection is part of growth and part of actually finding our success, because no matter what industry we're in, that's we're going to have rejection. And, and we have to realize that's just us moving to find the right fit. And it's also allowing us to keep honing our craft. You right. know, I think that's important to point out. I will ask you, what do you think the key ingredients are to growing in and honing your craft uh, that you know people could maybe benefit from your advice? Well, I think that there's three things that I keep coming back to as I have mentored other writers and written myself. And that's persistence. And we talk some about that. Just keep going, even though you get rejected. And then passion. If you don't have a passion or a calling to this, it's going to be really hard to sustain the energy, the creativity, and the drive to do this. And then professionalism. You know, I think that's a huge part of it that a lot of younger people nowadays probably I would love to sit with them and tell them this is the part that that doesn't get talked about because it's not as you know it's not as shiny it's and so you know you have to be teachable and part of that professionalism is being able to take criticism to work with editors and not be cranky when they get back to you about changes but to swallow your pride and listen to their input and always be a team player. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really good point. It's so important because to your point, first of all, if a agent or a publisher, well, when they look at so many books or so many manuscripts and two, it may not be the right time for that publishing house to publish your work, or it might not be a good match. There's a lot of reasons. And then, like you said, if it's about editing, well, as the author, we're writing it from our perspective, but they're looking at it beyond that a bit, right? Like what will their audience align with? What will their audience that they know, right? Because they've published a lot more books. How will it resonate with them? So to your point, we do have to be open to hearing what they're saying to us because they're trying to make us create the best product possible. Right. Yeah. To that point, my husband and I were I think we were at Whataburger a few years ago. We have a music and acting background. That's how we met. And this girl found out that we were part of a local theater company and she was like, oh, I want to act and I want to, you know, I want to be on the stage. And, you know, she was kind of asking for advice. And Carrie told her, he said, well, you know, get all of the experience you can and um, just be a good, be professional and do it for less pay or no pay for a while and build up as Allie Worthington says in the group we're in called creatives, you know, build up your reps. You have to pay your dues. And she didn't want to hear it. She was like, well, no, I'm good enough already. I'm, you know, and I thought, oh boy, I don't think she's going to go very far. (laughs) Well, you're right. Not until she, she maybe gets knocked down. I don't mean that in a bad way, but the humbleness, right? Right. Because your point, the most successful people that are genuinely like just a big hearted people, right. That, that are well-meaning. They say, you know, you have to be willing to serve. uh, Well, first of all, all of us, but serve others. You know, you show up and you're not just like, I'm going to do my part and I'm done. I'm out of here. It's I'm going to do my part. And what else do you need me to do? How can I help this? Whatever it might be, right? In this case, the example you just gave, it might be the performance, the production house. Do I have to clean up? Do you need me to move something? 
but it's sort of that genuinely show up to learn because, right. you know, like they say, we should be lifelong learners. And if we have that attitude, we're going to have so much more better relationships, more success in life, because we're really showing up to say, this isn't just about me. It's about, you know, the community I'm trying to step into, you know, so I think that's right. Cool. Yeah. And I think I, I remember a mentor of mine one time saying, when you go to speak somewhere, the first thing you need to ask is what can I do to help? Like, can I set up chairs? Can I, you just right. position yourself as a servant, as a person of faith. That's something that, you know, the gospels and Jesus has taught me that I'm going to go in and be a servant, not a master, you know? And so I think that that, that in any kind of the arts or any kind of job will help you go far if you're not too big for your britches, as my dad used to say in Texas. That's right. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, I've really taken on that idea. And before I get on any call, whether it's an interview or coaching someone or mentoring, I literally, you know, take a minute and say a little prayer and just say like, you know, how may, how can I best serve this conversation or this person? You know what I mean? So I think it's so important for us to be in that right mindset and right headspace. So let me ask you, like you said, you've started having an interest in writing when you were quite young in second grade. And then by early, I guess we preteen years, you started publishing your first few writing things or poems. And I think it was in your 20s, you published your first book. What is different about the publishing world then versus now? And then the second part of that is, what advice would you give to new writers that are stepping into or trying to publish maybe their first book or, or you know, get going in this area? Well, this is going to make me sound really old. But <laughs> there was no internet when I got started writing. So we would write off with a self-addressed stamp envelope for guidelines for a magazine. We would write off for sample issue. And then we would have to send our submission through the mail and wait and wait and wait to get mail back. So that's one way it's changed. The other thing that has changed so much with the internet and social media is that now there's a lot more emphasis placed on numbers by the publishers because they are a business. And then, of course, Amazon came, came in and my agent told me the other day they're 50% of book sales now. So a lot of what you find now is that publishers want to see big social media follow numbers with your followers and that word platform. They want to see a platform, whether you're doing radio or TV or a podcast um, and so, or a big email list. That's very important as well. So my my encouragement, if you're just starting out now, it's the same as it would be if you're starting out that many years ago. First off is just really be committed to the craft because you're not going to have a career that's sustaining and that goes very long if you don't, if you aren't good at your craft. So always, always be learning, reading, growing, taking classes, going to conferences. And then the second thing is, even though it's an influencer culture, don't get caught up in that whole celebrity mindset. And that's very hard not to do. But I think as writers, you know, we want to be, like we said, we want to serve the reader. We don't want to get readers and just chase the numbers because then it's all about us. So if we can have the mindset of, I want to serve my reader and keep serving them on social media and in my email list and all that, then we'll have natural growth. But it takes time. Even though we live in an overnight fast food culture, 
everything worth growing, everything worth doing, whether it's parenting, marriage, a career, a passion, takes time. Yeah, absolutely does. Even a long view, you know? Yeah. Well, actually, I think it's funny. One of the things you pointed out about, you know, when you first started publishing was how you have to mail things. And, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, not too far in age. Yeah. You know, I'm similar to your age. And I think what, what that taught us though, back then was patience, right? Yeah. We had to have a lot more patience in all of these social media and digital devices at our fingertips have kind of made us an impatient culture. Right. So I think that was an interesting point because you really did have to wait a long time for anything, you know, whatever we had, we were ordering or trying to do with business. Like you said, I remember, um, I didn't have to do this piece as much, but you know, my mom would even say, uh, who's published books as well, but she'd say, I'd have to go to the library and research the topic, you know, because like you said, there was no internet at that point. So that's cool. Um, another thing though, I wanted to ask you about was you talked about how you, went after your dream, you continued, no matter what season of life you were in, to go after this career that you wanted to be a writer. Do you have any advice for people on how do we continue to go after the thing that we feel called to do or we're passionate about doing, whether it's that we have children and we might have to take care of aging parents and we might have to have a full-time job, right? But whatever it is, we always have other things that are going to pull from our, you know, compete for our time or make it hard for us to have the mental energy to keep working on maybe this craft or passion we're interested in. So any advice there? Sure. I, you know, look back and I always had to have another job because writing, it comes in fits and starts. It's feast or famine as a lot of the arts are. And my husband is a minister and he has been, and so it hasn't been, he hasn't made the big bucks. So I've always had to help with the family's bills. So one of the things I did when my kids were little is on the days they were at Mother's Day out, maybe a couple of days a week, I just made that my writing time and I didn't go to lunch or I didn't join a women's Bible study at church during that time. It was sacred. I would just use it for writing. And my friends might not understand at first, but eventually they they respected that because I was professional and said, hey, this is my writing time. Also, I used little pockets of time. So I would use 15 minutes here and there to either, you know, bang out a query letter or do some research on an article or order a book, you know, that I needed for research. Or, you know, one of the things I did to build my platform was I would send off little short articles that were probably less than 200 words, tips and tricks. And I would answer things in magazines. And then I got credits in several magazines by just having little short paragraphs of things. So it is doable. I'm glad that I didn't put it to the side for 20 years while my kids were or t- more than 20 while they were growing and getting out of high school and moving on because now they're six, um, 17 and 23 and one has moved out and one is perched on the edge of the nest. And I still have this passion and this thing that, that I can do and that's all mine. And I'm excited about, you know, some, some things I've been wanting to do that I haven't had time for. So again, I tried to take the long view, but I didn't put it all on the shelf. And I'm really thankful for that. It's definitely something that, you know, every person struggles with, especially moms, right? Because, you know, let's be honest, a lot of moms are the ones that might be doing more of the caregiving side of things. And, you know, I do talk to people sometimes that do put it on hold and that's okay, right? If that works for their season, and that's, that's wonderful. 
But I do think it's great to for us to encourage people to say, even if you can't do this, well, maybe not full time, but even if you can't do this the way you want to, keep honing the craft, keep working on it. Even if you're not actively submitting manuscripts, you could still be doing, like you said, 10 or 15 minutes of writing a day. Or if you can't fit that in because you have lots of really little kids, maybe it's, you know what, twice a week. I can schedule in 30 minutes or an hour for this thing I love and that I want to be doing. So I think that I would definitely encourage people that, you know, there's always a way, you know, and I think that comes back to the passion piece, right? There's always a way for us to continue moving forward. Something that we feel called to do or we're passionate about. We just have to be honest about, and I actually want to talk about that. We have to be honest about what it is we want. And what is we want to pursue, you know, sort of our goals and our vision for our life. And then I think we also have to be honest about what the why behind it, you know, and I think if we can do those two things, it's a lot easier to say, for instance, if we're married and have children, look, this is a really important thing for me. I need to figure out when can I fit this in, you know, with the whole family schedule. And so I think having those conversations is super important. Did you find there was any strategies for you that allowed you to do that? Like in your case, you said you did it during Mother's Day out, but did you have other times where you had to figure out like, I'm going to go on a Saturday for an hour and get out of the house or so there were, did you find other things like that that you had to do? Absolutely. I have a supportive spouse. I think he, he saw the need for me to write because I get really cranky when I'm not writing. <laughs> it's just a part of me. And so he would take the boys sometimes and do things so that I could have a quiet house. Or he would say, you know what? I know you have a deadline for an article. Why don't you go to the library and I'll take them to, you know, get ice cream or whatever. So that helped. I think if you don't have that, it's important. Like if you don't have a supportive spouse or supportive family, it's important to find a writing group that you can share and be, and they can give you strategies. I always kept a notebook. I still do this. And now, of course, I have my phone and I can do uh, notes on my phone, but I would just keep a notebook. And anytime I had an idea, you know, if my boys were playing in the ball pen at McDonald's, I could scribble down something while, while we're watching them. Just, I think it has to become a part of you in order for you to to find those ways. But it, like you said, it's doable. You have to be creative and again, be persistent. But that passion piece, it, that's what we're talking about. When you're passionate, you'll work and, and you'll be creative to find those things. I'm not saying it's easy. And honestly, I have a couple of autoimmune illnesses. And so I've dealt with a lot of chronic pain and fatigue. Um, one of the ways that has affected me is just that I've had to know my limits more. So some of the goals that I might have wanted. And, and right now I'm having to do this too, because I have a new book I'm working on. Some of the goals that I want to, I want to achieve next year, it, it actually might take me three. I need to be realistic about my limits and about my real life and not my idealized version of a perfect life. That makes a lot of sense. And I think I talked to a ton of people and most of them have something they're dealing with, right? It could be a major chronic health issue. It could be a health diagnosis, right? A disease. You know, I just had an interview with an old friend that has, you know, seven years metastatic breast cancer and she's still building this amazing business that's had great success, but she's able to do it with a hundred percent flexibility of time, right? And she's had, she's been able to take months off when she wasn't able to work. So I think, you know, you bringing that up is really important, which is, there are going to be seasons where it's going to be harder for us. And maybe our work, 
our daily work life doesn't look or weekly doesn't look the same as someone else's and that's okay. It doesn't need to, to your point, it might be that the one of the reasons you put the 15 minutes in place, right? The increments was for you, you knew, okay, I know I can show up for 15 minutes and get something done. Even if it's a day where you're, maybe you're, you're dealing with some more of the pain or some of the issues. So I think that's important for people to know that even if you can't do all the things in the one day, that's okay. And we don't need to feel bad about it. Even if we can just get something done that day, or if we need to rest the next day, that's okay. We're still making progress. The influencer culture, again, that's, that's part of, I think, why we get discouraged because we see all these other people doing all these things. And we don't know that behind the scenes, they might have 20 interns or they might have, you know, a spouse plays all their bills. And so they don't have to have another job. They can do this full time. So we have to not play the comparison game in whatever field we're in and know that we have a certain life to live and a calling. And that's going to look different for us and our family than it is for anyone else. So don't try to copy someone else's path. It, it just doesn't work. Right. Oh, it's so true. It's, it's great to see how someone else got to, you know, got there, had their success or, you know, achieved whatever it was, but you were so right because every one of us are, we might all be dealing with something, but we're all dealing with different things and on different days. So I think that is really important. And I think too many of us don't realize that, uh, you know, of course I talk about this since it's one of the themes of the podcast, but we do need to define life on our, on our own terms for what we need in this current season. You know, that could have to do with going after your passions. It could have to do with, you know, what's the income that you need to make right now, right? Like you said, that has to do with, is it just you that's making the income or you're married and you have a spouse? There's all these things. And what I try to tell people is you can change that. We don't have to stay in whatever it is we're doing, right? If you have a 40 hour hour work week, then you can still get other things done, but you also don't have to stay in a 40 hour work week. Maybe it's the time where you need to only work 30 hours right now to be more available to someone, your family or whatnot. Maybe there's another time where you just say, I'm ready to step into my own thing. But I think it's important that people realize we really do have more control of that than we realize, you know, and we can change it. Um, The other thing too, I want to talk about is a lot of times people have a hard time breaking the past script. And by that, I mean what they did before the identity we have in things. It could be a career, a profession. It could be, you know, titles like mom, not that you're not a mom once you are, but like you're about to walk into being an empty nester. So I think sometimes we struggle with being stuck where we're at instead of saying, oh my gosh, it's so exciting. I'm, I have these new opportunities in front of me. And so sometimes I think fear holds us back from moving into new things or at least quickly. Do you have any suggestions on how you step through maybe feeling like you're stuck or you're afraid to try something new? Do you Have you had to deal with that? And do you have any ideas for people on how we might do that? I definitely have dealt with that. In fact, just this last year, so I had a big job change that I wasn't planning on. It wasn't something I chose. And there was a lot of fear in that because I thought, oh, I don't, I had had a lot of identity in my job. It was a nonprofit. It was very fulfilling to me. And for all of a sudden it to be done, I thought, oh, who am I now? You know, I'm not the communications director anymore. Who am I now? So I had to look at, First off, I grieved. I think you always have to grieve losses and you grieve even changes that maybe you planned because I don't know about you, but I don't do change well. And so I have to give myself some time to emotionally find an equilibrium. About the same time, we lost my dad and my father-in-law in in about 12 days. That was really tough. 
But I also took that time. I thought, wow, I don't have to work right now. I was looking for something else and it was tight financially, but I had time. I had time to deal with that. I had time to go visit my mom, to go to Tennessee, to visit my my um, other side of my family and be with them during those losses. And then I thought, you know what? I had this book idea for years. I've been too busy to do a proposal. So then I, when I got emotionally um, on an equilibrium, I went ahead and did the book proposal. So I think not, not looking on the bright side, like a Pollyanna, but saying, what are, what is this difficulty? What is this season showing me and how are these changes showing me some opportunities I didn't have before and also being grateful for even the little things gratitude to me always shifts my mindset from I don't like this it's a big change who am I now to this is an opportunity look at these things that are put in place now or that maybe the, the bad things that were in that job or whatever I don't have to deal with yeah I think, first of all, the fact that you said, you know, of course, you didn't plan for that job change to have happen at that time. But I think what, what we don't always see in that moment until we look back, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, is that that actually gave you the gift of time to spend mm-hmm. with family during that grief process, which is such a, a probably needed and a lovely thing. And then, like you said, you actually were able to move forward your book career because you had a little more time. It doesn't mean at that moment, like you said, you're like, oh my gosh, financially, we weren't expecting this. So there's obviously a downside, if you will, or could be, mm-hmm. but you then obviously walked into a new career or a new job at some point, you know, yeah. that, that it got you where you needed to go. So yeah. I do love that, but sometimes we just don't see the blessing in the you know, why something happened, like we lose a job or we don't get an opportunity or we get the rejection because maybe there's something better coming along or the timing isn't right. So I think that's important. My mom taught me that about perspective. She's such a sweet, godly woman. And my dad wasn't an easy guy to live with, but she is just so grateful for every little thing. And now that he's gone, I see her blooming and growing. And yes, she misses him. But she's not sitting around thinking, oh, poor me, woe is me. She's really grabbing hold of a new season and looking at the positive and being more with, you know, her, my brother and his family and getting to be with her friends more. And, you know, she's probably more social than I am now at her assisted living facility. So I, I consider her my mentor in that. And it's, it's neat. I think positivity, um, whether that comes from your faith, mine comes there from there, or if it comes just from a personality, or if you can develop that, it goes a long way. Absolutely. And speaking of gratitude and positivity, do you have any daily or weekly practices you do in, in general, or related to those two things that help you, you know, get in that mindset or sort of try to stay looking at that side of things? Yeah, it's simple. But a few years ago, I just started trying to write you know, one to five, I'm not real strict about it, one to five things a day that I'm grateful for, whether it's that my hot water was working today or a new book contract, which would be really big. But anything little, big in between, I try to daily, I have a journal that goes with my planner and I try to do that. And it sounds like such a small thing, but it's actually science has proven that if you do that, it changes your brain. And it 
produces chemicals in your brain that lead to more joy and more happiness. Yeah, absolutely. I do a similar thing. I have a productivity, a daily productivity sheet I fill out that I, you know, that I just created for what I needed. But on the right hand side isn't the work stuff, it's just life stuff. And so one of those questions I ask myself every day is, or or I say at the beginning of the day, today would be a good day if, right? So I might be spending time with my family tonight or whatever it might be. And then I have another one that says, how did I show gratitude today? You know, and mm-hmm. I have some other areas I fill in, but it's for the same reason, because if I just filled out in a daily productivity sheet that was, these are my three projects today. Here's my to-do list. Here's my appointments. Those are great. And it keeps me on track for the work, but I might forget and miss that this, there's a bigger picture and there's more important things than just the work, right? I would, you know, it'd only be half, it would be a snapshot of part of our lives. And so for me, I need to see every day, you know, wait a minute, these are all the other parts of life that matter, you know, and I think it's important because I think too many of us miss that, that part of it. You know, we get so busy and wrapped up in our schedules and all the to do's that we forget that if we actually tried to stay in that sort of a, a mindset and and looked at all the other great things in our lives that it, it just shows us all the meaning and the richness we have right around us. Yeah, I think it's so true. And and my, I went back to counseling after we had those two big losses and a really hard year last year. And my counselor during one of my hardest sessions, she said, Dina, I'm going to give you an assignment as she usually does. I want you to do something joyful every day. Just one thing that brings you joy. Yeah. And I thought, wow, I love that assignment (laughs) because I wasn't feeling a lot of joy. I was getting bogged down in the grief and in the loss. And um, so it's been really fun to just plan something joyful every day or to look at my day and go, what was joyful today? And I always can come up with something. I just did a mini podcast episode that talked about that concept, which was whatever it is that you're feeling you need right now, if someone's feeling lonely or sad, or they're feeling overwhelmed, whatever it might be, we, if we go out into the world and give someone else that thing, right? Friendship Mm -hmm. or a, you know, companionship, but it, it literally helps us feel that same thing. You know, if we share, you know, give a special note, you know, note to somebody, tell them like, Hey, you made my day, or I was thinking of you, I dropped off flowers, but it actually, we feel the thing we give, you know? So I think a lot of people, the point is you can't just always go and get it for yourself, but if we go out into the world and do it, just like she said, go do something joyful every day, you know, we can make our own joy, but often it's because we gave it to someone else that we feel the joy again. So I think that's, yeah. So let me ask you as far as continuing to go after your passion. Are there any other things that you might share with anybody, just words of encouragement to, you know, to keep us going if we're moving into or wanting to move into this next opportunity. And maybe we've been hesitant and we haven't done it. You know, we're just, or maybe we're not, maybe we've been afraid to share our work with the world. You know, we're not, we've not made that next step yet. So maybe we're practicing writing or singing or whatever it might but we haven't been willing to put it out there, you know, for publication. Do you have any words of encouragement you might share? I would just encourage you to take the risk, whether it's in, in the arts or in friendship or in love or whatever you're looking at, um, a dream, a calling. You never know what's on the other side. There might be hurt and rejection, but there could also be more amazing things than you could imagine. So I would say if you're not a natural risk taker, try to, Find someone that can help you do that. Find a support network that you can make baby steps and then 
and then take that risk. I found it's very worth it. And I'm yeah. 51 now, almost 51. And I look back and I only regret some of the risks I didn't take, not the ones I did take. Absolutely. And I know they say that, right? The regrets of the dying. One of them is that it's not, yeah. oh, I embarrassed myself or I, you know, whatever. It's right. It's a, putting friendships first and meaningful things. And it's going after things that you wanted, not waiting too long to go and try the, the new thing that it could be an adventure, it could be a new opportunity, you know, but like you said, putting yourself out there is so important. And even if it feels scary, it's actually, it's not, once you do it, you realize there's a lot of relief in it. Yeah. You realize it gets easier to do those things if you keep just doing a tiny little thing each day. So I think that's great advice. Awesome. But before we go, actually, I actually have one question I meant to ask you, and it's this. I know you talked about in the season where your children are probably younger, you know, not necessarily a, a senior and grown, you ha- you had to realize that you didn't have to be, you didn't have to have, be this perfect image of a mom because really none of us are. We're just real people. But you said, I think you made the comment that I learned that it take out and having a little messier house than it might have been while you were doing your craft and getting your deadlines done was okay. So I did yeah. want to talk about that for a minute because I think it's really important. And I talk to a lot of people, whether it's a friend or someone I'm working with, and they say, I just had a friend say this other day. She said, I wouldn't let my son have kids over. He's 14 because I thought the house is too messy. So I said, no, your friends can't come over. The house is messy. And we had a conversation about it. She goes, oh my gosh, I should have let him have the friends over. And, you know, mm-hmm. and, the, and the child or this teen said, mom, no one pays attention. But so I just want to talk about that for a minute. Cause I think we have this perception that we have to have our houses sparkling and white glove. And, but that's not reality when we're trying to do all these things and have all these goals. So maybe can you share a little tips about how you shifted your mindset to realize it was okay or why it was more important to spend the time with a family and then on your passion than worrying about these other things? Well, it's still something I struggle with because I do have um, recovering perfectionism. So I do tend to want things, you know, clean and straight and all those things, but I have boys. One of the things is having two boys and and three, if you include my husband and then a dog, it's not ever going to be ideal magazine, you know, level clean and perfect and all that. But I think that it was Madeline LaEngle that I read a book about her when she was younger. And she's written so many books that were instrumental in my own life. And she was a mom that tried to, that was writing and also an actress and she owned a shop and all these things. And she just said, you know, you have to realize something's got to give. And for me, it was the house. And my husband was also an artist and he he was okay with that. You either save up to get a house cleaner or everybody, you know, at one, one Saturday morning a month, you all pitch in and you clean together and that's good. And you don't worry about the times in between because you really can't do it all. You just can't. Absolutely. And I have the same philosophy. Even my dad actually said, cause we have, I have three sons in the, in the highest season, which wasn't that long ago, you know, with some weekends we would have nine soccer games and my husband's a coach for three soccer teams. So there's a lot of busy, right? Or in some weeks, I think we have, we had 12 sporting events, you know, from like Sunday to Friday, but we just had to realize, you know, my dad even said, don't worry about, oh, you know, your lawn could be 20% better or your, this could be, you know, I mean, you know, we try to keep the main areas tidy. You know, we just got back from camping. So it's not as much today, but I have to say, okay, am I going to go get the work done in my office? 
And am I going to make dinner? And am I going to do this other thing? So, so like you said, something gives. And for me, sometimes it's, I don't get the house vacuumed every day or every two days or three days. And it might go several more days, some weeks, you know, it just doesn't, or I get the kids to do it, but they don't do a perfect job. Yeah. And but you have to let go of that too. Let go of the, the need to have it perfect because the kids need to learn how to do that. And that was one thing I had to learn to let them do it to the best of their ability and and then say good enough. You know, that was hard for me, but it really helped. It did too. I mean, I almost said I was going to put signs in my bathrooms that said bathroom is cleaned by which kid. So when my friends came over, I was like, it's not my, <laughs> it's not my doing. Go talk to my kid. I love that. You know, because I was like, sorry, I don't have the time, you know, especially if I'm hosting, I'm cleaning the other common areas and making the food and doing so many other things, making the outdoor space look good. But I'm like, I didn't have time to circle back to all the bathrooms necessarily. Yeah. So, yeah, And I we're the that's... one that cares more than anybody else. Our friends and our that's right. know, kids' friends, they don't care. They just, they feel the love and the peace in the house and the joy. They don't, they don't do the white glove. So that's we, right. yeah. Like I said, most people, I mean, well, no, every person, they just want to be seen and they want to be loved and be part of a community. And like yeah. I said, just extend the invitation because what everyone wants is just to be invited over and feel like they're part of that. They don't care. Like you said, oh, so there's a little mess right here. I said, most of your friends will probably go over and help you do the laundry sitting on your sofa. It's fine. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So any last comments you wanted to make before we wrap it up? Well, I, I just appreciate this conversation. It's been fun. And, and it reminds me of some things that you know, I still struggle with, but I think I'm getting there. And so it's fun to talk with somebody and just look back over the past and realize that, you know, there has been so much good. I'm so thankful, even in the midst of a hard. How can people connect with you online so they can learn more about you and your books and all the, you know, speaking and all the things you do? Sure. My website is dinadyer.com. So that's just www.dena dyer.com and you can find free resources there there's a free ebook for busy moms a devotional book and then a free bible study for women that you could get through email and then i'm mostly on instagram or facebook for social media where instagram is just dina dyer and then facebook is dina dyer author well thank you so much today dina for your time i think it's a, it was a fantastic conversation and i look forward to connecting again sounds good thank you And I wanted to share these words with you from Mark Batterson and Chase the Lion. And he says this, when I speak at writing conferences, I ask would-be authors one critical question. Are you called to write? If the answer is no, don't waste your time. If the answer is yes, then anything less is disobedience. Don't worry about getting an agent or finding a publisher. Write for an audience of one. Write as an act of obedience. And he goes on to say, William Hutchinson Murray said, There is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. But the moment one definitely commits oneself, the providence moves too. Whatever you can do or dream, you can. Begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. What do you need to start? And I love that because I think that reminds us that we don't need to wait to go after our dream career. We don't need to wait to start something. And we don't even need to wait for a different season, whether it's that our kids are young or we're busy with other things. We can always take small steps to make forward progress, to move towards our dreams and our goals and our passions. So I would just encourage you, just be willing to show up and every week say, I am going to do something to move this passion of mine and this purpose forward. 
We think we do need to know what we want in order to define life on our terms. And we have to be willing to break the past scripts so that we can move into better and more beautiful and amazing things. And if you're ready to go after your dreams and define life on your terms, head on over to kristenfitch.com and download the free No Limits workbook to help you look at different ideas in front of you and how you might create, scale, and monetize those ideas. So you can start going after your dreams today. And if you enjoyed the show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have ideas for the show or guests that you'd like to recommend, I'd love to hear from you. So DM me on Instagram at Kristen Fitch, or you can email me from the website. Thanks so much. And thanks again for listening in. Until next time, have a great week.